Thank you so much for tuning in to the Willpower Podcast today. Today, I have the privilege to have flown out to Nashville, Tennessee, and get to have Sean Kaplan, uh, a mortgage loan originator that I've met this year and a couple masterminds. I cannot wait for you to hear this conversation. He was gracious enough to rent out this whole room. I know a lot of you guys that listen to the podcast, uh, this looks a little bit different, uh, but I can't wait to hear for you the wisdom that he brings on and also the stories that he's able to uh, share with us from his uh, childhood and just his personal life. Don, man, thank you so much for uh, coming on the Willpower Podcast, man. And actually, when I say coming on, I say me flying out here to Nashville, but this is the coolest thing because you got this room all set up, which it looks completely different than anything we've ever done. So truly thankful uh, for you not only being a guest on the show, but also uh, getting this whole thing hooked up, man. I'm honored that you came all the way to Nashville, Music City. We had to roll out the red carpet for you, man. Dude, well, you did a great job, man. And uh, man, you are such a a great guy that I when I met you and you know what actually we got connected through Neil Dingra who is kind of who um, helped us start the our personal brand um, I, I don't know about you know I, I can't speak for you but for me he he was a big stepping stepping stone for me on that and I went to one of his content days you went to one and then we both went up to a second one which if that doesn't say that you know we're kind of cut from the same cloth a little bit uh that's one of the reasons why i wanted to have a conversation with you and of course you've been in the business a long time we're both mortgage loan originators um but man i just felt like you know i had a good connection with you whenever i met with you then we saw each other back in vegas you know so it's been a good time man so tell us a little bit about uh for you know people that maybe haven't heard your name before tell us a little bit about yourself i appreciate you saying that uh first i just want to say like i felt you know i i really enjoyed how we connected on uh, the side of the industry that, you know, we enjoy, which is reaching people, marketing to people, but more so just, you know, collaborating and have social content out there that, that other people like find value in. And that's what Neil's done. Neil's been a great stepping stone to just help me understand that like there's a different way you can do it mm -hmm. that provides value that people really want to, you know, listen to you other than just hear about mortgages and real estate all day long. So yeah, man. And uh, a great thing that uh, he taught, but you know myself i would say both of us and and, and a lot of people is that it, it's all about adding value to people and not necessarily selling people because so many people they want the the shortcut for everything they want the shortcut for how can i get a six-pack abs in you know five weeks or whatever it is and i feel like anytime that somebody's trying trying to develop their personal brand they're always like your classic like hello my name is william gomez and today i'm going to you know, from, you know, wherever you work at today, I'm going to talk to you about FHA loans or whatever. And people just, you want to go into the selling right away before you actually build any trust and you're never going to get any results doing that. Yep. Early in my career, I got tired of people, uh, walking away per se, because I would talk about mortgages so much. I don't know if you relate to this, but I was so excited. I just want to tell everybody about mortgages and what we could do to help them and change their lives. But it was received as, oh, you're selling me something. Exactly. And so the last couple of years has been a great journey, um, you know, in just learning how to change that messaging a little bit. You know, um, yeah, I live here in Nashville, Tennessee. Thank you for coming to Music City. Of course, man. And uh, I know you got to see some of just a little bit of it. Yeah. And I uh, lived here for about 25 years I'm a Yankee at heart. I was born in New York. Uh, uh, my dad was a, an immigrant, came over in 1926. 
Um, and then met my mom years later and I ended up moving back to Vermont. My father passed away when I was young. You and me shared a bond, a story about your childhood that I really related to you early. Yeah. You know? And I think that's one thing why we had such a good connection. Um, but, uh, then my mom remarried. We ended up moving off to Tennessee. That's how we ended up down here at the age of 13. Uh, the gentleman that my mom married was a home builder and Clarksville, Tennessee was a hot spot because that was right after desert storm that all the troops were coming back. Um, and so a lot of new troop housing, Fort Campbell, Kentucky is up there, 101st airborne division. And so that's where I went to high school all four years. And I just had this dream of going to college. Uh, nobody in my family had ever gone to college out of 38 grandchildren. Um, I had 38 cousins. Wow. And so, um, I was like, I'm going to college. So I signed up with a student loan guy. I thought I maybe wanted to be an engineer. Fast forward. Um, I did that for six years. I was on the six year college plan. Racked up a bunch of college debt, credit cards, because nobody taught me about money. And then in year 2000, I was waiting tables in a restaurant. I met a mortgage man and um, didn't know what a mortgage was, didn't know what it meant. I thought it was insurance, actually. And I was like, I don't want to do that. He's like, no, why don't you come on out and see me next week? So I went out there. I moseyed out there to this stranger that I met, you know, waiting tables. And, you know, he talked to me for a while about what a mortgage was. And he pulled his tax return out of the desk. And I remember I looked at it. It was 442000 and he's like, you want to learn how to do this? And I was like, yes, sir. And so a week later, I became a mortgage guy. He mentored me for several years before he retired. And that was a really, really good pivotal part, you know, to start my career off. Are you sure you, you're not mixing up your story with The Wolf of Wall Street? Nope, that wasn't it. That is a good movie, though. <laughs> no, I remember that. And I, I love that. And, and dude, it's so crazy that you're saying that. Uh, you know, that you didn't even know what mortgages were because so, you know, funny thing when I first came in the business, I was telling people, I said, how long do you think it'll take me to hit my first million dollar month? Because I was just like super competitive and I thought I knew about 10% of the business. Um, and I really knew like 1% of it. And everybody was like, you know, it's, I think it'll take you between 10 to 12 months. So I was like, all right, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this in six months. And the reason why I was not only so competitive, but it was just also because the more confidence I have, the more the more uh, courage I have to like ask also dumb questions. So thankfully, I was able to do it in under 90 days. So I had like all the confidence in, behind my back. And then I remember going to my uh, to my manager at the time and saying, all right, so um, so what's this Freddie and Fanny everyone's talking about? <laughs> That's funny. And then, and then a couple months later after that, you know, I, I said, you know, we have a, where I'm from, we have um, a, an a AMC mortgage as well. And then so I said, you know, we're a big bank. I started at the bank and I said, why, why do we have to order our mortgages from across the street, AMC? They're like, no, that's not what AMC stands for. So it's so crazy because even if you are doing, you know, some loans in the business or even a lot of loans, like people don't realize how complex this mortgages are. Yeah. So, you know, your guy telling you like, Hey, you should come and do mortgages. You're like, I don't want to do insurance. Right. It's crazy, man. So, uh, so you said your dad was an immigrant. Yeah. Where, where did he, where was he from? They immigrated, uh, from Poland to Belarus, Minsk, Russia, okay. which is now Ukraine. Okay. But they were going uh, in advance of the Holocaust. And so they wow. came over in 1926 to uh, Staten Island, uh, Brooklyn. And then my dad lived in Staten Island later in his life, but came to Brooklyn on Ellis Island and uh, with his four brothers and sisters. So there was five of them. And then my grandpa Isidore and my grandma, grandma Sarah. Okay. And um, he was a tailor. So he made clothing. 
Um, and so then they all went to school in Brooklyn. And then later my dad joined the Marines um, at the age of 17. And my uncle Bob, his, his other brother, uh, joined the Navy. And they were off and running after that. They served in World War II, came back to New York City, and then became businessmen, got jobs, started businesses. That's awesome, man. So you knew your dad until you were about 13 years old? I knew, no, my dad passed when I was six years old. So my mom- Oh, you moved here to Nashville when you were 13. Yeah, my mom remarried after my dad passed at six. And at the age of 13 is when we moved to Tennessee. So what what all do you, like, I know being six years old, and I mean, I personally had a pretty- um, pretty, you know, impactful childhood to say the least. You know, I was born in Mexico. I, you know, grew up in poverty. And when people think poverty, they think of the United States, right? Yeah. They, they don't think that, you know, my mom had me when she was 17 and she had, a, she had to work about three jobs just to put, put food on the table. So there's parts, a lot of parts of my childhood when I was about five to six or even younger that um, I remember like, like I just watched this movie yesterday or yeah. earlier today. Um, so I don't really know exactly how your childhood was to where, I don't know, like how, how much of your dad do you remember? You know, I remember, you know, some key moments, um, you know, which I, my mom also had me when I was 17. Seriously? Yeah. And when wow. my dad passed, she had to work like three jobs. I remember she wow. used to clean houses. She would, um, she would paint uh, people's houses and then she um, also helped out like my family, you know, her brothers and sisters with their family businesses. She was just constantly always working. Um, but you asked me a second ago, I'm sorry, I lost train of thought, but like. Um, um, How much do you remember? Of oh, them? yeah. So like I remember when we would go, my mom and dad would be on and off. She lived in Vermont. He lived in New York. So they were probably breaking up yeah, and yeah. working it out. But remember one time my dad went to put me on an airplane and he had bought me an air rifle. You know, one of those ones that doesn't shoot anything but makes a sound. And they wouldn't let me take it through airport security. And I remember looking back and seeing my dad holding that air rifle, like waving goodbye. Um, So I remember that part. I remember he'd come up for Christmas and take me to Toys R Us and let me fill up a shopping cart. And then I remember the day my mom got the phone call. He took his own life and she... um, He called her about 10 minutes before he jumped off the bridge, the Verrazano Bridge. And I remember sitting there watching the TV and my mom getting a phone call. She was, I remember her crying and saying, what's wrong? But that's really all I remember about that. But that was him calling before he went to the bridge. So how did that impact you? And by the way, it's, I'm really, really sorry to hear that. It's crazy. I've been super thankful. Uh, and I, I've been, I've been lucky enough to not have necessarily somebody super close to me pass. You know, one of the things that we share in common is that, you know, my wife and I used to have an English bulldog and you have two French bulldogs and I constantly are, mini version yeah mini version of them and a lot more energetic as well but i'm constantly giving you um uh, compliments on your dogs because i just you know think they're the cutest things ever and but you know unfortunately our dog passed away you know about a month a month and a half ago and that was one of the like you know craziest times as far as like it impacted me quite a bit and that was that was a pet that was a dog that was an animal right on our way up here actually uh we're i'm driving and you know destiny is uh going through instagram and um one of our friends that weren't even close friends we hung out with them once or twice and turns out that um her husband died due to cancer Mm -hmm. and 
even though I didn't really know this person very well, it's like now I see things completely different. So I can't imagine like it being your your parent. So even though you were so young, and especially the way he went out, do you like how do you think that impacted you? Well, I wrote my whole story. I mean, um, I've shared it uh, with a lot of folks. But um, talking about the dog thing, just to let you know, like some people thought it was really weird, like how I reacted when I lost a French bulldog uh, two years ago, tragically. And uh, my therapist told me that when you grow up without a father or mother, um, you seek validation, especially as a young man. Yeah. So men, we seek validation. That's probably why you're you, you were an athlete. That's probably why you excel at your job. You know, and you can also do bad things like you can party a lot and, you know, you can do a lot of bad things, but it all comes from wanting to be accepted. The problem that we face, guys like us that have extreme have lost a parent and and look for validation is an animal as silly as it is. They validate us because they never talk back. They always love you. They're excited to see you. Right. They'll cuddle with you anytime. And so when we lose that animal, what happens is we put a lot of bonding in with that animal as far as like, hey, you accept me for who I am, just whoever I am. So when you lost that dog, you probably experienced the loss that I felt, too, where it wasn't just a dog. It was a bond that I had with that animal because I was just looking for something that would accept me, you know, not reject me. You know, not say you got to work faster, make more money, get better grades, things like that. So, yeah, and that's how it's affected me through life. I completely agree with that. And honestly, you know, I've I've heard a lot of uh, people share and say that um, they didn't really see, you know, one of the things that you and I also share is that we're both believers as well. And uh, and, you know, you have kids of your own. My wife and I don't have kids yet, but uh, one of the things that I hear all the time is that, you know, whenever your first or any kid is born, you, you truly see that love that God has for us. But but when this whole thing happened, which I haven't really shared with a lot of people, is I realized that um, I kind of saw kind of God's love through an animal as well, because like you just said, no matter what you do, you could put your dog out and have him, him or her sleep outside for you know, cold nights, not feed the dog. And as soon as you let him in your house, he or she's going to love you like you did nothing wrong. And it's just, I think that that has a lot of, um, a big part of, of why we are so connected to these animals. And it's crazy. I mean, this was my first, uh, you know, dog that I, I, uh, you know, um, had personally. And so, you know, it was crazy, but that's, I didn't know that you had lost a French bulldog. That's crazy. What else do we have in common, man? I thought I knew you and now you're like, I'm looking at myself in the mirror right now. Well, I don't know about that. You're definitely, um, you know, you're, were you an athlete growing yes, up? Yes. Yes. So. I played football, wrestled track and cross country. So I think we have in common, you asked how it kind of formulated like later in my life. So, um, I tried to play sports, but I didn't really excel at any of them. Like I, I would play, I'd work hard enough and show up and try out hard enough to get a spot on the team. Mm-hmm. But then when I got a spot on the team, I didn't have enough talent to play, but the coaches would keep me around because I was a hard worker. I would shag the balls. I would carry the bags. You know, I put my high school team. I always tell people, I don't think I played a single game, but I was on the team with Sean Marion and Trenton Hassel. Sean Marion played for the Phoenix Suns. I think he's in the hall of fame, but I don't think I played a single game but I got I learned so much by being on that team because I would just be a little soldier. So what I learned later in mortgages was, hey, you can win at this. Like you can actually be on the team and be a superstar on the team. And it was one of the first things in life that I remember that I like other than waiting tables, which I was really good at. 
um, I was like, wow, like you're at the top. You're not just somebody who's on the team. And that's probably why you excel too at your career because growing up, again, we all want two parents, but when you don't have one, you're seeking, you know, acceptance from other people. And the mortgage industry will offer you a great platform that for that because you can kick butt in the mortgage industry just if you're somewhat mediocre. Yeah. Right? Yeah, no, and I completely agree with that. Um, I that's another thing that we resonate with because I actually do remember, um, you know, playing these sports, and I used to hang out with, of course, my friends' families uh, more than my family sometime. And I remember there was a couple parents that I had uh, that were, you know, my my friends' parents, and and their dad would sometimes even favor me over their kid because of really? you know because I was doing good at you know whatever I was doing, and then. Uh, from there, it was it was an easy motivator to be like, okay, what can I do to um, keep you know getting this validation? But the other thing too was that I learned I never knew you know who in the world, unless you're you know the son of a super super successful mortgage loan officer, uh, which there are a few of them out there in the nation, but do you grow up saying like, I want to be a loan officer, right? Right. So I, uh, you know, didn't ever know exactly what I wanted to do, but I always knew that I liked selling things and it went back all the way from even whenever I was telling you that, um, I remember I was like five years old and, uh, we were at this like, uh, plaza with my mom. And, uh, at that point, you know, she had my, um, my sister, she had my brother. So it was three of us plus my mom. And there was, uh, it was a plaza that had a bunch of different vendors, like, um, uh, like food and just kinds of different things. And then we go by this, we go by this, uh, a pizza cart that they sold pizzas by the slices. And I told my mom and I said, Hey mom, can we have a piece of pizza? And she goes, son, you know, we can't afford that. And I, I go, how about this? How about if we get one slice and we share it between all four of us? And she looked at me and with tears running down her eyes, she goes, son, we we really can't afford that. Mm -hmm. So that day, I remember it like the back of my head because it taught me two things. It taught me to be more mature as a five-year-old to understand exactly what my surroundings and my my environment were, were and also exactly how my situation was to not put more pressure on my mom and to realize that I had to step up and also be able to take care of my brother and sister. And also it taught me that I, I wanted to find ways to try to get around of like, how can I get what I want? And that's really much selling. And going back to high school, uh, I remember I got more satisfaction from you know if you played sports in high school you remember you had to sell shirts you had to sell like fundraiser stuff candy bars yes and i would do nobody could even come close to me to how much stuff you could sell so much that last two years of my uh high school career junior and senior year me and a buddy of mine um his parents owned a chinese restaurant and we we they had a sam's card so we went to sam's club and we would buy like our own candy bars and we would sell it in school and because I could, I didn't have time to work even though I, you know, I needed extra money. So we would sell this, we'd sell gum, we would sell. And I got so much satisfaction on that to where like, you're right in mortgages and in anything sales wise, like you're, if you're willing to work hard and you're willing to take rejection, you're going to win if you're going to, you know, outlast all the people that say no to you. And I just, that's, you know, that's what keeps me going and drives me every single day. What's something that you think that keeps you going as far? I mean, you've been in the business. I've been in the business about five years. How long have you been in the business? Uh, it'll be, um, 
It'll be 21 years in March. That's a long time. So tell ask, I'm asking you, in times like this, especially right now, to where there's so much coming at you, man, yeah. it's the quote-unquote, I hate saying it, but you know, the elephant in the room, the, the slower time of the year, yeah. right? Uh, against also the crazy market that we have been seeing uh, with rates and with inventory and all that crazy stuff. Um, on top of that, you going through some transitions as well. And add on top of that, your personal home situation, which, you know, that's a whole nother podcast episode of itself. So having all that going on, like what gets you like today, I was, you know, trying to swing by your office and you're like, man, I got so much work to do. Like, what's the thing that keeps you going? Man, that's a really, really good question. Um, you know, I, I have a, a fear of not of living up to my t- potential, number one. I have constant fear of not, not living up to my potential. Some people tell me that's not a healthy thing. I'm like, whatever, I'm built different. Like, that's, you know, the 99%ers telling you that. But I always, I do tap into, like, you asked me about, like, something that stands out. You told me your story um, as a child. Um, I remember I had my first job at, when I was six years old. I always ask people, what was the first job you remember? And mine would be at six years old. I knew my dad had passed away. My mom didn't really tell me why, but um, I decided I was going to go down to the basement. I took three boards, nailed them together. I took, uh, went down to the, my uncle's general store, and I asked Uncle Cedric if he would let me borrow. I would pay it back for a poster board, a bag of Domino's sugar, and a pack of Kool-Aid. I carried it all the way back up to the house because I lived in this little small town up in Vermont. And I took that those three boards that I nailed together, and I took a poster board and I made Kool-Aid five cents and I mixed up that Kool-Aid I think I put the whole bag of sugar in there it was good sweet Kool-Aid but anyway and I took it out there took some cups and I sat next to the road because people would ride all their fancy bikes Cannondales and all that up through the mountains and they would pass my, me at my grandmother's house which is where we lived with my mom and people would stop and give me five cents so that was my first job but this is the entrepreneur where it came out in me I started that because I not only wanted to help my mom, but she said, you know, same thing. We don't have any money to do that. You can't get a bike. I wanted a bike. And, you know, that's also a motivating factor now in life. I bought my mom a home a couple of years ago in Clarksville, Tennessee, moved her down here. Like, I want all the things for my family that I didn't have. And I got so tired of being told we can't afford something that I want to grow to the point that I can not only buy things when I want it, but I can bless other people with it, you know. And uh, but to tell you a little entrepreneur story. Um, after that first day, I don't know, I made like a buck, buck 50 or something. I was like, this ain't cutting it. Didn't even pay for the Kool-Aid and the sugar. Right. So the next weekend I got a bright idea and these people would bike, come up, Kool-Aid would be there. They'd be like, how much? And I was like, whatever you would like to give me, sir. Well, then I get a dollar. Then I got a $5 one time. Then I got a 20 for a whole Kool-Aid. Yeah. Because I just said, whatever you would like to pay me. Imagine if you put, didn't put a price tag on your services. Some people would make a lot more than what they charge. Yeah. And so I think I walked in with like, I don't know, it felt like 80 bucks at that that day. And my mom was like, what were you doing? <laughs> then I took it a step further. And like another week, the following weekend, I took my little sister. She was only like four years old and sat her out there. And I was like, you sit here. And then I went and did some stuff. And then like, <laughs> I think I gave her a dollar, took all the other. I had my own little labor going, you know. That's awesome. So man. that story motivates me now to this day. Um, now I'm motivated by different things. You know, I, I want to leave a, an impact you know, on people's lives that, you know, I always tell people if, if, if you showed up at my funeral tomorrow, I hope you wouldn't say I was just a good mortgage guy. Yeah. So I'm on this mission to like make a difference in people's lives beyond just doing a home loan. 
that's part of the vehicle that gets me there. Yeah. But I want to help people build wealth. I want to help people get out of debt. I'm very passionate about that because somebody showed me. Now I want to show as many people as I possibly can on the other side. Man, that's so great hearing that story because um, just a couple podcasts ago, I had somebody ask me a question and it kind of, it's funny because I'm always putting people on the spot, asking them questions, you know, that, you know, come to mind and stuff. And uh, they asked me, they said, Hey, do you think that leaders are born or they're made? And I quickly answered, I, I, I believe that leaders are born and it make, and the reason why I was so confident saying that was because it makes me think of people like you and I, for example, like nobody was there to teach you that at six years old, but you were literally running a business and trying to figure out like, how can I work smarter, but also keep working harder in order to be able to, you know, do more. Right. I remember also my mom tells me stories all the time, um, of, you know, times where she worked at this like food truck when we we're in Mexico and she would tell me like, Hey, sit there in the corner. And you know, once this is over, we'll go home and stuff. And she would, she was like, I couldn't keep you from like talking to people and trying to like sell them more food and stuff. And I don't even remember this to be completely honest with you, but she tells me stories all the time. And it tells, and that tells me, me like I don't nobody taught me that like so that's it's so awesome hearing you say that and then also hearing you say you know what you've been able to do for your mom just because like even the 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 things that I've been able to do for my family like they're just so thankful and and that right there is just way bigger payment than anybody you know could ever give you and and it goes it's a constant reminder that it always feels so much better to give than than receive especially material things um you it's better to give somebody something else that to you it's just like oh cool it's just another rental house but to somebody else it's like a home that they're going to be able to live in and and make make a life out of and uh, i have a, a question for you especially since now you know, we've had countless conversations, but now I feel like we're really, really getting to know each other. And the reason why I love doing podcasts is because this is where you can really dive in with people when you don't have your phone. You're not checking, you know, all this stuff. That's why I love the beauty of them. So since we have all this stuff in common and like you just said, I wanted to get, I wanted to give people like what I didn't have. How are you dealing with that with your with your kids or how have you dealt with that? Because that's one of the biggest fears that I have whenever I start having kids and, you know, you know, we can afford to give them, you know, easily whatever I, I didn't have, but to a point to where you don't, they don't grow up to be like brats or, or, you know, um, irresponsible people or whatever people might want to label it. How, how do you deal with that? That's a really good question. I would say, um, I've asked a lot of questions around that. I've asked other parents who have kids that are gut go- We're going to be my kids age. Like my daughter's now 13. So I started five, six, seven years ago asking people like, what do you do about this? What'd you do about that? When was the first time she got a phone? Like, and I didn't really start considering it for the last couple of years until I thought about it. And it's still a growing thing. But like, I promised my daughter when she turns 13, if she's responsible, I trust her. There's no reason for me not to trust you. I will get you a phone. Um, Part of the thing was she was one of the last ones to have it. You know, these people are giving people phones at seven, eight, nine, which I just disagree with. It's crazy. And but she was finding herself blocked out from like parties, gatherings. And I was like, well, I don't want it to like affect her social growth and her ability. So I said, you can have a phone, but you're not going to have social media. Like people are also giving people their phones, giving kids phones and then letting them get on TikTok. Like it doesn't make any sense. We're not going to get off on a rabbit trail there. But to answer your question, um, I think it's about 
just like our business, finding other people that are doing things at a high level, ask them lots of questions. Say, how did you end up with such successful kids? And usually those people will tell you something like, I'll tell you, hey, you only see the highlight reel. I've screwed up a whole bunch, right? Like my daughter has Instagram right now. Like, I don't really like it. I think we've kind of lost a little over and I think I'm going to have to take it back. Um, but you have to find out what works for your family and you can only do that by thinking a lot about it, talking about it with your spouse and asking a lot of questions of other people that you admire that have, you know, great families and great kids and say, how did you do this? Yeah, that's, that's a great, uh, answer just because I don't think it goes back to pretty much like similar to anything that I do is, and I always try to seek for advice. And I think that that's one of the things that, uh, makes people like you and I, um, different built different, for example, is because I have never, and I will never feel like I've arrived or I know it all or even close enough to it. I always want to ask people questions of, you know, how can I, uh, learn like what what is it that you have that I can learn from and it, it's taking me places where I could never been you know uh, without that advice as well Let I me- told I was just gonna say um, a second ago like I also was raised by my mom I was never given a curfew like because I never came home late enough that she had to give me a curfew I was never told like you know what time dinner was because I always knew what time dinner was and I was never told to have to keep doing my homework over and over because I would do my homework And so I think that also taught me like raising my kids that I think personally the best way to gain respect from your children is to give them, you know, the ability to make their own choices until they mess up. So I told my daughter, I said, I'm not going to keep you from a phone if you haven't exhibited that, you know, you can't, you know, manage a phone appropriately. I said, but the moment you mess up, like we're going to have to have a talk and discuss and there may be repercussions moving forward, but I trust you. And there's a lot of power in telling someone, especially a loved one saying, hey, I trust you. Just please don't break that. Yeah. You know, it's a respect thing. I grew up with respect for my mom that I didn't want her to like have to like call me and wonder where I was at or worry. You know, I wasn't perfect. I messed up quite a bit. My daughter's messed up, you know, but that's where you sit down and you say, hey, this bothers me. Let, you've made a mistake. It's okay to make mistakes, but it's not okay to keep doing it. Yeah, I know. I completely agree with that. And go, going back to, you know, it's crazy that you're you're talking about your family and your daughter and saying the word trust in order for them to be able to get what they want. And uh, circling back around just because it popped in the back of my, in my head, um, you know, part of the reason why, you know, people that have been trying to build their personal brands um, that they don't realize is that the only reason you're doing it is to get people to like you, know you and trust you. And the trust is the biggest thing. And you're, you're never, you know, we both shared a little stories of, uh, starting to do some videos and just selling, selling mortgage, mortgage. Right. And it's like, you're never going to get people to trust you whenever you're just doing that. Um, so that's the biggest thing that I could tell somebody that's wanting to start their personal brand. It's just, just give people value and in order to get trust in return and then everything will work out. What do you have to say on that? I think that's great advice. I think like when you say like give advice to get people to trust you, I think like that's one of the keys. Like what's the John Maxwell, you know, givers gain. Um, And that's how I was raised by my mentor. But I would also I'd say take it a step further. You have we have to get ground level with people like people only see the highlight reel. They don't see what you came from or what we came from. And so the social media accounts where like they only see the good stuff like it doesn't really help people get, you know, ground level. And so for me, like I really, really in almost everything I do, even like in this podcast, like I want people to know, like I'm just a normal dude. 
and I've worked hard and I've had good people share things with me and I went and adapted and I use that. And if you do the same, you can have it. So like, I don't know about you, but in my family, owning a home was like reserved for other people. Yeah. Like you were going to rent forever. Like if you made $60,000 and had a 401k and worked for 40 years, like you were successful. Like that was a great, you know, in your family, you'll be at the top of the echelon. Right. Um, And so I was never taught. And when I started understanding like that home ownership or just even beyond like having things in life or retiring one day, like you can have that too. Like it's not just reserved for another group of people. Well, then it just made me want to just go after even harder. You know, there was a story. So when my mom was cleaning houses, we went up into these really rich people's houses and she would clean their houses. And my mom would say, Hey, go over there, sit down, do, you know, mind your own business. There was no iPads during those days. And so I would find myself wandering around people's homes. I wouldn't touch things or I wouldn't put my hands on property. It wasn't mine because my mom also taught me not to touch things that, that weren't mine. Yeah. But I remember going in the garage and this one guy's house, I would always want to go to my mo- with my mom because he had sports cars in the garage. I'd peek into the garage door and I'd see him. Well, one day I decided to go out there and just walk around him. And there was a red Porsche and it was a Targa. It had camel colored seats. I could smell the leather. It was amazing. So then like the following week when we came out there to clean, I got a little bit braver and I said, I'm going to sit in it. I remember this story and it'll stick in my head and it motivated me to help my family and help other people. But when I was sitting in that car, the garage door opened and that man came in and I froze and he came over to the car door and he looked right at me and he goes, don't you ever effing get in one of my cars ever again. And I was only like a six or seven year old little boy. And this man had his finger all curled up and pointing. I mean, breathe. I remember his brow was all, you know, cross and he was just mad. And I think I keep that dude on my shoulder right over here. You know, like if I f- saw him today, I'd want him to ride in one of my sports cars. I'd actually throw him the key and like say, hey, man, take it for a spin. And so that's kind of my life right now is I just want to get ground level with people and say he would have been better off saying, hey, young man, you want to go for a ride in this? You can have this car one day, too. So that's kind of my whole life. That's my story right now. I want to get people in the car financially, get out of debt, have vision to maybe hope to retire one day and say, hey, you can get in this car, too. Let me show you how. Man, and one of the things, you know, I I said you have to add value to people in order for them to trust you. But one of the things that I forgot that you, you hit the nail right in the head is in order to be able to do that, you have to know your why. Yeah. And that's your why, man. And I, I truly, truly love that. Going back to, man, I feel like I'm looking at myself in the mirror. My mom used to, and still right now, she, you know, she, she has her own business to where she cleans houses right now, but she, she did that back in Mexico. And, and it's crazy going back to you, both you and I have done Amplify Renee's class. Yeah. And, um, you know, one of my favorite answers is I remember one of the, um, you know, my mom growing up and working three jobs in order to be able to, you know, put food on the table. And she would tell me the same exact thing, like, just sit here and uh, just don't touch anything. And, you know, we'll be out of here in, in, in no time. And I remember this one specific house um, for a couple of things. One, they had really big dogs that were just always just being, you know, rowdy. But this specific um, home, the uh, owners were super, um, gracious and super nice to my mom all the time and myself. So they would always like, you know, let me watch TV. We didn't have a TV. So my mom would just put me on the TV and, um, and it was Saturday. That was the time that I was with her or else I'd be in school and I would get to watch his cartoons. And one of those cartoons that 
I would get to watch would be Blue's Clues. Oh, yeah? Yeah, well... Well, you uh, are young. Yeah, yeah, super young. And then, so whenever I... um, Last year, I remember, you know, uh, my wife's family and I swapped back and forth Christmas and Thanksgiving. So last year, we got to spend um, Christmas with them. And, uh, you know, my mom gave me, you know, some gifts, and it was awesome and everything. And at the very end, she goes, um, hey, I have one more gift for you. And I go, what is it? And she's like, let me go get out the car. And uh, it was like this big thing, and I couldn't, you know, I normally, you know, can guess what, what I'm going to get. And it was like this big um, uh this big blues clues, uh, like stuffed animal. And she goes, but this one's actually not for you. This one's for my future grandson or granddaughter. And I, dude, I was just like so happy. And the reason I'm sharing that with you is because that's why my favorite color is blue. Is it really? Yes, sir. You got your blue suit on behind you there. Hey, I'm telling you, man. Uh, how about that Renee class though, man, that taught me so much. And I feel like anybody, including you and I have, um, learn so much and I've been able to truly get that story that we all carry that it's unique to all of us out in order to connect with more people. Um, have you done it once or twice? I've done it twice. I've twice. hosted it here in Nashville and wow. I actually did it. But yeah, between Neil, Neil Dingra, um, and between Renee Rodriguez, I'd probably say those are the two biggest things that have impacted me in the last couple of years. Um, you know, Renee, Renee teaches you the basis of how to tell your story and frame your story for people. But I think the, the thing also that he teaches you, it's an ongoing thing. Like we're learning more about it today. Like I'm sitting here thinking, as you asked me, like, is there a story that was staying out? And I was telling the story about the car. So there's a story too, where like I used to relentlessly get bullied. I was really small. I was five foot three. I was like 110 pounds. Um, I had a butt chin, you know, kids just were mean to me. And I remember also being poor and not having a dad, like you're already kind of, you know, a leg down, right? And so I remember going to this new school. It was called Bellows Falls Academy. And I remember that because I thought it was fancy just because it was a public school, but called Bellows Falls Academy. But um, it was BFA. And I remember the first day in school was when the Reebok pumps came out, which is way before the Blues Clues, buddy. (laughs) But I remember those Reebok pumps came out and they were like $180. Like at that time, probably would now be, that'd be a $1,000 pair of shoes. But I remember I went to the class and the kid that was in front of me had on Reebok pumps. And I didn't have enough money to, to buy them. I got one pair of shoes a year if I was lucky. And it, But I remember saying, hey, man, can I pump your shoes? And the kid turned around and looked at me in, in like this loud voice to embarrass me. Goes, no, Kaplan, you can't pump my shoes. And that's also sits up on my shoulder. Like I've actually looked for those original Reebok pumps on eBay just to buy a pair and put it up on the shelf. But like I think you're just if as if you're told something enough as a child, whether it's put down the phone, don't stay out late, don't date that guy, don't date that girl. Like, you're probably going to try to do it, right? And so just, I think I'm just teaching my daughter that these experiences are things that I want you to grow off and learn from and not be a victim in life, be a victor. Because those stories you'll be be able to later use in life, which is what Renee does, Amplify taught me how to take the circumstance instead of hiding them, share them with the world and make them part of your story. Yeah, man, that's so powerful. And yeah, you said something there that I feel like a lot of people forget, even though it's so basic. And as humans, we always want what we can't have. Right. So, but so many people don't use that as ammo to, to reach their potential, to reach their goals. They use it in order to be able to honestly harm themselves and just make themselves a worse version of 
themselves and it's just sad but it's that's also a great little simple hack that people can do it's like just go back because i feel like no people don't have to grow up the way that you and i did to to think of that one motivator of that person that maybe just didn't believe in you and there's there's a little underdog or a lot of underdog in all of us so um man so one of the questions that i always like to ask people um and you can take this as you know let's say a brand new loan officer that comes onto your team or um you know anybody that comes up to you and says what is the best advice that you've ever received that you can pass on to me what would that be oh man there's so many that stand out but i mean my one of my life quotes is you know diligence and consistency will always outpace talent so in other words you don't need to be the brightest person the fastest person in the room you don't need to be the you know the prettiest the wealthiest whatever if you just do something diligently for a long period of time, you will most likely beat out 99% of everyone else. And I've found that to be very, very true in my life. And so that's my secret superpower is like I will run circles around you and I will keep going and keep going and keep going until you will eventually quit and I'll, I'll rise to the top. So I'll shag balls. You know, I'll I'll throw more balls than anybody else. You know, I'll cut more lawns than anybody else. And eventually someone's going to be like, I like that guy. Um, another one is like surround yourself with other people that play big, but do it on a on a on an authentic and vulnerable level, like gravitate towards people that like are really an open book and have done something successful because nobody wants to be around the person that looks perfect all the time. And what I've learned is it unconsciously liberated me to go out there and do the same. So when somebody says, hey, I lost my dad, I immediately bond with them, right? That's a, We've bonded over things like that. But if you hit all that and you didn't share that with me, then I'd be like, oh, you know, we, we don't really relate. So you can be the most successful person in the world, but if you don't relate to people, they're not going to gravitate towards you. That's some great advice, man. And I can happily say that I've taken that even before you shared it um, by being here with you. And uh, I look up to you a lot and I think that you're very relatable and I'm super thankful to call you a friend. And uh, man, thank you so much once again for putting this all together. Even, you know, we came up here, but I think that the treat was mine, honestly, uh, getting to have this conversation with you. Thank you so much for coming on, Sean. Very, very grateful. Thank you, Willie. Of course.